Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of My Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. I'm thrilled uh, if you are a returning guest. I'm thrilled to have you back. Um, I am very happy to to welcome you as a part of our community um, and welcome you to our programming this week. This week we are going to be discussing something that uh, you know uh, it's it's a topic that I, I love to talk about almost as much as taxes. Um, and that is the Founding Fathers and Libertarianism. Uh, but before we get into that, please go back to last week's episode, if you haven't yet. I was really proud of last week's episode, actually, and uh, <laughs> uh, more, than, more than I have been of, of others. And it, it, I basically broke down price gouging and the laws of economics uh, and how they still apply in disaster situations. Of course, we just had Hurricane Irma, and we had Hurricane Harvey right before that, um, and we don't really know what Hurricane Jose is doing right now. He's kind of doing his own little thing, his own little dance loop around in the middle of the ocean, um, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, fortunately, Irma was not as bad as a lot of people uh, thought it might be. It was, it was certainly destructive, um, but it, it could have been a lot worse. Um, so, so fortunately, fortunately, not too many people got hurt uh, in in the storm. Uh, but, it, like I said, if you haven't listened to that this week or last week or whenever, um, please go back and listen to that because I, I think it's really important that we understand. This is something that we have to understand that. Something as simple and something as it's simple yet it's it's Im- incredibly powerful as the laws of economics they don't change just because the circumstances change uh, they follow exactly the way that they're supposed to uh, and that's something that we have to remember every single time we're having these discussions is that the laws of economics change economics uh, circumstances change but the laws behind the economics are as solid as could be. But that was last week's episode, and uh, again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. This week, I do want to touch on uh, the Founding Fathers, because this week is Constitution Week. This uh, this Sunday, I believe, it's on the 17th, Constitution Day, and uh, it was actually, I believe, Constitution Day last year that I released my intro episode of Mill Liberty, um, so that's exciting. We're approaching our one-year anniversary next week, and we have a very special treat with you for you next week. With our, um, I have an interview with Stephen Perkins that I'm very, very excited for you to listen to. He's of course our editor in chief here at Outset. Um, but for for Constitution Week this week, I want to discuss with you how libertarian the founding fathers actually were, because this is something that. Which I, it's it's hard to generalize libertarians, but but generally conservatives and libertarians they like the founding fathers. I mean, it's it's hard not to. They they created one of the greatest experiments of all time, uh, and that is the experiment of the United States of America. It is the greatest experiment in freedom that the world had ever seen before and since. 
Now, sure, we've had our ups and downs, and a lot of times when we have gotten away from the the founding principles that they uh, illustrated for us, and then th- that they set in stone, that is when we have lost our ways, even by many of the same people that formed and set the foundation. We have lost our way, even in those circumstances. Back in in the uh, early or the late seventeen, early eighteen hundreds. But the principles that they founded it on are solid. They are they're good principles that you can that you can not only found a, a country on, but they're good principles to live by. And many of the same principles that our country was founded on, many of the same themes that our country is founded on, we can see um, much of the same in libertarian ideology. Now, the Founding Fathers didn't found libertarian ideology. It's uh, quite far from it, actually. Many of them were, I would not consider them libertarian. They had a very diverse worldview. Very Many of them had very diverse opinions. And that's something that we often forget, I think. It's, it's, it's easy for us to kind of group them all together and say the Founders intended this to be this way. And I think conservatives and liberals and libertarians, all of us, uh, have have certainly been at fault of doing that from time to time. But it's important to remember the diversity in thought that they all had, that they were not unison in, in, their, in their ideas and their opinions and their approach to government, but something that they were unison on, more or less, and we'll get into the less part, uh, here in a little bit, but more or less, they were unison on their drive, their why. And that why, of course, was human liberty. Now, not all of them agreed on how to get there, on how to achieve the maximum amount of human liberty as possible, but they all agreed that human liberty, that the most amount of liberty possible, is the best way forward, more or less. Again, generalizing here just a little bit but uh and it, we'll get into the specifics soon but i uh, it's important to note that the political divide back then is very different from the political divide that we have currently today it's easy to say that well you know the founding fathers they compromised all the time they they came together and they um formed this great country out of compromise but that's i mean it, it's technically true but it's not true in the sense that a lot of people are talking about because they say that many times in order to try to achieve some form of bipartisanship in Washington. But often what happens is not that liberty is the why behind their their drive. It's not their why. It's not, it's, it's not that they're trying to achieve the most amount of liberty possible, so they're trying to compromise in ways to get there. They don't care about that today. Most of the founders did, and that is the distinction. In this episode, I want to explain and recognize the, the good that they did for not only the country, not only the, the liberty movement, because they were kind of the OG liberty movement, if you will, but also for all of humanity. We have to recognize their good without deifying them. And I think that is the only appropriate answer uh, to to look at them through. The only appropriate lens to look at them through. Because I am at fault of, of, of sometimes maybe 
propping them up on a pedestal a little bit higher than what they should be sometimes. Um, but I think it's also very dangerous to do the opposite route because obviously I, I have more uh, conservative background uh, before I was a libertarian. But often we see that it's either uh, deifying the founding fathers or dehumanizing the founding fathers. And I don't think either one of those are the answers. The, the, the left will always say that they were horrible, horrible white men and slave owners and, and as you know, just anything you could possibly think of. Now, it's true that they did own slaves, and I did an entire episode on slavery and the founding fathers and, and what their true opinions on slavery was and why uh, they took certain actions or the lack of action would be a better way. But I already did an episode on that, and I'll link to that in the show notes because I don't want to spend all my time on the Founding Fathers and slavery because obviously you can do a whole episode on that, and, and I did. But that's episode 39 of Mill Liberty. Um, but yes, they were slave owners. Yes, you know they, they did have flaws, but they weren't monsters. It's important to recognize that. Conservatives will often deify them, say they have absolutely no flaws, and liberals will often say that they were subhuman and they were just absolute savages and monsters and they did not care about the rights of all men or or men and women just men just white men and that's not true either the truth is and and this is what makes them so incredible i think the truth is is that they were not gods the truth is is that they were not um superhumans they, they weren't um, divinely intelligent. Now, they were very intelligent, many of them, but I, I think that's partly to do with the fact that um, they all understood the importance of self-education. And that's something that I think, for the most part, many of us in America have forgotten about. Um, it's something that I am certainly trying to, to fix my own personal life on, but that's a personal decision to make and most of them made that decision even the ones that did not have the uh the ivy league education uh they they were not rich enough they were just farm you know farm people even they i would consider them much smarter than the average american today uh but that's because they understood what their role was not just in society but i believe in history this is what makes them, I think, so incredible, is that you have never seen in human history a group of individuals who did not try to grab for more power as soon as they dethroned or cut ties from their former ruler. They said, actually, we're going to, to try to constrict our own power here. That's incredible. You have to look at it through the lens of what it was in 1776, um, 1791, you know, whatever milestone date you want to, to uh, put on there, whether it's the Declaration or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, whatever it was, it's still just as incredible every single time. And you have to look at it through that lens. It's never been done before. Before America, it has never, ever been done before. We have constrained governments to the way that it that we constrained it to. No other country has ever has ever promoted that much individual liberty. No other country 
before then was ever conceived in the idea of liberty and the idea that all men are created equal. That was an unheard of idea at the time. Now, many libertarians will rightfully so um, kind of, I, I don't want to say bash the Constitution, but will we'll certainly not prop it up and deify it the way that many conservatives will. And that's understandable. I, I think that the same the same flaws that conservatives get with, with the Founding Fathers, they also get with the Constitution, and that it is divinely written. Now, I do think that there was a bit of a, a miracle in, in the Constitutional Convention in what we ended up getting. Because with so many uh, different fractions, different factions, uh, just biting at at their at each other's necks. It is incredible what we eventually got, and it was in fact because um, both sides believed in individual liberty, and the found the uh, the Constitution truly is a a great example of what true compromise is. Now, this is something I really want to touch on for a second, and I touched on it just a little bit. Uh, a few minutes ago, but I, I really want to uh, drive this home. We often think that compromise is both sides coming together, giving a little, taking a little, and then um, whatever is the the center of the agreement, and that's compromise. Whatever you can agree on, you, you give up a little bit, but you take a little bit. That's not what the Founding Fathers agreed on. They did not give up on their principles. Both sides, both the anti-federalists and the federalists, they were incredibly bullheaded. So to say that the the country was founded on compromise and, and to use that as an excuse for bipartisanship to, to raise the debt ceiling or to vote for more war or more bombs or whatever it is that Congress is trying to do, it's not, it's not in the same context the Founding Fathers believed in liberty. They said that was the end goal. We are going to have to find areas of agreement, but never give up those principles that we believe in. This is why um, people like like Patrick Henry, who was an anti-federalist, he was he was a a radical, <laughs> really. He was about as anti-federalist and as principled as you can get in his own right. And he became a major thorn in the Constitutional Convention for those promoting the idea of a centralized government with the powers in the Constitution. Neither side gave up on those principles that they knew to be true. See, they they both had the idea that liberty was the end goal, but they both had very different ideas on how to achieve that. The Federalists wanted a central government that was strong enough to protect the nation and to protect the rights of, uh, of individuals by limiting the power of that central government. It had very specific, very enumerated powers it listed those it's a negative constitution we've talked about this before on the program the the constitution is a negative document with powers that it can do rather than saying what it can't do and everything else is fair game that's the purpose and that's really the blessing that the federalists gave us this is also why they did not support a bill of rights because they feared that once you start enumerating your rights, once you start saying we have this right and this right and this right, but then forget something else, then government can go in and just start violating all the other rights. Now, that's a bit, 
<laughs> that's it's a bit confusing that they had the same thoughts because if their argument was that um, that they only had a, a certain enumerated powers, it wouldn't really matter if you enumerated the rights or not. They still couldn't go after those rights, but that was a that was a fault on on their part, and we'll get into more of that here in a bit. The anti-federalists. They wanted government decentralized. They believed very strongly in, in state powers. They believed very strongly in giving that power to the states instead of to some central body in what would eventually become Washington, D.C. at the time. Because for they had uh, fear in government. It was, it was a justifiable fear. To this day, it's justifiable. They understood what too much power in a centralized government would do. And they we they refused to go back to it. The Federalists, um, or excuse me, the Anti-Federalists feared central power uh, and tyranny coming from that. The the Federalists feared what too much breaking up, too much breaking up power would do, and they feared the tyranny of the majority. Now, fortunately, we reap the benefits of both of those ideologies put together. Because yes, the Constitution is. A document of very strict, very enumerated powers. Very specific powers. It's a negative document. But also, fortunately, because of the Anti-Federalists, we have the Bill of Rights. Because of the Anti-Federalists, they understood this is something that the Federalists refused to look at. This is something the Federalists refused to accept. The Anti-Federalists understood that while, yes, it's good that the government only has enumerated powers, they also understood the inherent nature of government. And the inherent nature of government is this. It will constantly try to take more and more power regardless of what the Constitution says. Now, the Constitution ended up being the greatest protector, but that really doesn't really matter if government um, will continue to gobble up power and ignore the Constitution and the people will refuse to uh, accept the responsibility in protecting the Constitution from the government. It's a symbiotic relationship that the founders put in place. But regardless on which side wanted to be right and which side thought was, was the wrong way to approach it, both sides wanted maximum liberty for the individual to be protected. This is, in fact, uh, really, it's the, the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution was uh, the greatest win for both sides of the aisle. Because the Ninth Amendment says our rights are not enumerated. Just because we have rights listed here in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, the Ninth Amendment says it doesn't stop there. We're not telling you that we are granting you these rights. We are telling you that we are protecting your rights. Your rights are inherent in your humanity. Your rights are a gift from God and cannot be taken away from the government. That was the greatest win for both the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, and really the American people. Because the biggest fear for the Federalists, as I said, was that when you start enumerating rights, that's all the government's going to look at. So then it can violate the rights of whatever else you forgot to list. In the end, it was not necessarily a compromise, but it was what they both could finally agree on that created the greatest political document in the history of the world. I would argue the greatest uh, libertarian document, really, even though there are some parts of the Constitution that are certainly not libertarian. 
it is still the closest thing to a libertarian government that we have ever seen. We have never seen in the history of the world a government that protects the rights of mankind. We have never seen a government that says, here's what powers we have, and we don't have those powers that are not listed here. This is the greatest single libertarian document of all time, and it's because they understood what a true compromise was. A true compromise is not giving and taking. It is never giving an inch on those things that are your principles and finding common ground on that which you can agree upon. Fortunately for us, they both agreed in some form of liberty, and that is what we get to reap the benefits of. This also led to the formation, in, in, in part, the formation of libertarian thought and libertarian school of thought many, many years later. It's, you can't really pin down and say that the Founding Fathers were absolutely libertarians, but many of them did have many strains of libertarianism within their blood. Jefferson comes to mind. Madison comes to mind. Uh, somebody like Patrick Henry. Now, Madison and Patrick Henry were not the closest of friends. They were at each other's throats often, especially during the Virginia uh, Convention for the Constitution. And there were often times at each other's throats. Now, the Constitution is not without flaws, obviously, and this is where it gets into the more authoritarian realm. Uh, some of the anti-federalists' worst fears realized. There, of course, are things like eminent domain and really the, the weak requirements that is underlined for the taking of private property. Uh, and it is really kind of unfortunate because it, it threatens oftentimes private property rights. The idea of it is strong, but the actual words that are in the Constitution are very weak. In the Constitution, in the Fifth Amendment, it only says that um, it only says that just compensation will be given to any private property that is taken from the government. Basically, I, I'm not <laughs> reading that word for word. Actually, I believe it says something along the lines of private property will not be taken without just uh, compensation. It's a very broad, <laughs> a very broad uh, definition and open to interpretation. The idea behind it is that. Yeah, we need things like military bases in times of war. We need, you know, you know, we need uh, military commodities. We need certain government commodities for, for like a central seat, in in Washington D.C. and stuff like that. That's understandable. What it has been used for, however, is that now we are to the point where the entire West is practically under federal government control. And that is an entire episode on itself and what what drives me insane and some of the damages that, uh, that, that Theodore Roosevelt left, the scars that he left on, on the Constitution. But that can be traced back to, in fact, uh, the very weak interpretation of eminent domain under the Constitution. Other things like the eventual, now this is not something the founders put in place, um, but it is part of the Constitution now. Things like the inclusion of the 16th and 17th Amendments that uh, gave way to the income tax, the federal income tax, and that gave way to the deterioration of federalism, of the system of federalism, which I consider the 17th Amendment to be the un most unconstitutional 
constitutional amendment, meaning that it is abhorrent in the in the spirit of the Constitution, but now it is part of the Constitution, um, and it really is damaging to American society and has contributed, I believe, in, in many parts to the executive power and the executive power grab that we now have. And then there's other things like direct taxation that the, that the Constitution uh, put in place, many, many tax parts in here, as, as you can tell. Um, actually, Benjamin Green uh, just did an episode <laughs> on, on Monday about some of the flaws of the Constitution, and I didn't agree with all of them. However, there were some points, including his point on, on taxation, that I did agree with, except for a little comment he made, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and he'll certainly understand what I mean. And you would, too, if you go back and listen to it uh, almost immediately. Um, but the greatest benefit that came from the, the creation and the formation of the Constitution, and certainly in the School of Libertarian Thought, this certainly helped propel and project that idea and that ideology forward, is that rights are not granted by man. Rights are not granted by government. This can be echoed from, you know, Locke. This can be echoed from uh, certainly Jefferson and people like that. The ideas of that, fortunately, was enshrined in the Constitution. Rights are inherent in your humanity, and this Constitution does not grant the people of the United States the right to, uh, to speak freely, to say whatever they want, to practice their religion, to defend, their, uh, defend themselves, um, to be private and in in, in secure in their per persons and papers, those are all rights that you already have. Those are all rights that are inherent in your humanity. That is the greatest contribution to the U.S. Constitution that we have seen. Now I want to shift gears a little bit to um, point out some of the more libertarian founding fathers and then also... Um, maybe some that did quite the opposite of, of um, benefit that, that some of the libertarian ones uh, did. They were, they were more along the lines of, of status founding fathers. <laughs> if, if that's even possible, it seems like we, we tend to gloss over those. But yes, they did exist. Um, many of those uh, became that way after the revolution, after their side got into power as is the natural uh, trend of things. But first of all, for some libertarian founding fathers, founding fathers, the most obvious one, of course, is Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he was the the visionary, the philosopher founder. He was the one, the philosopher of freedom. He understood, and I I would say his biggest accomplishment, not just to the country, not just to libertarian thought but to humanity, is that he made the ideas of liberty so incredibly simple and so incredibly understandable in a way that nobody else has done before him. Sure, he, he took the ideas of Locke. He took the ideas because there is no real original idea, but the way that he defined liberty, uh, the way that he... Um, explained it in the U.S. Constitution, or excuse me, not the Constitution, but in the Declaration of Independence, the way that he uh, explained what natural rights are. There has never been a 
more eloquent and more understandable definition of liberty up to that point in human history. He completely revolutionized the entire world because of the Declaration of Independence. And because of that, it gave way to the possibility of a movement completely founded around the ideas that he defined, that he explained, that he said that your rights are within you. It does not come from government. No, it comes from the laws of nature and of nature's God. That is incredibly simple for even the simplest of men to understand. Not only that, but he also practiced much of what he preached whenever he became president. Uh, and the first of things was that right after the Adams administration, he ensured that uh, he would not sign a, a renewed sedition act, which is completely in opposition to the ideas of free speech and the ideas of natural rights, that the government will tell you what you can and cannot say. Now, the second one that comes to mind is Madison, and he probably was the most pragmatic of the Founding Fathers, and the one that uh, did not have, or excuse me, did not um, trade his liberty for the ideas of, of compromise. He did not trade the ideas of liberty for compromise, but he certainly was the more pragmatic of Founding Fathers because he not only gave way to the creation of the Constitution, but he also gave way to uh, the formation of the Bill of Rights. One of the, one of the very rare Founding Fathers who had a foot in both sides of the arguments. And I think that honestly is where we need to stand with a Constitution as Rand Paul said, with the Constitution firmly in one hand and the Bill of Rights in the other, that's where the answer lies. Madison, of course, was the author of the original Constitution um, and bridged the gap between the best of both the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Sure, he wrote the Federalist Papers, but he was key in making sure the Bill of Rights moved forward and passed through Congress. Now, if you take to the other side of the coin, you have who I would consider probably, if, if Patrick Henry was alive today, I think he would be really close to an anarchist. I really do believe that. He, he was certainly the radical um, <laughs> founding father, and he was never really all that happy with, with anything that uh, the Constitutional Convention ever came up with, if it wasn't his very pure, strict definition of liberty. Now, some would say that he was just stubborn. Some would say that he was unrelenting and uncompromisable and kept uh, the Constitution from becoming what it really could have been. I won't say that. I think Patrick Henry was irreplaceable, and if it weren't for him, we could have gotten something a lot worse than what we ended up with. He was key because he pushed the Federalists so far, and he made sure he was there every step of the way to make sure that they weren't going too far in their actions. Now, they, they did get away with a lot, but if it weren't for Patrick Henry, if it, w if it wasn't for his unrelenting persistence in making sure that liberty won in the end, and that he was not giving up. He was one of the most stubborn of founding fathers that you have ever heard of. 
He was a great orator. He was very persuasive. He used logic and emotion, something that I very firmly believe in And whenever you're arguing with people, whenever you're trying to debate with people. He understood that. He understood the roles that both of, of these things played. He pushed and pushed and pushed so that we would not have a Leviathan government. If you understand the term Overton window, he pushed the Overton window over so far that we would eventually have the inclusion of the Bill of Rights added to the Constitution. I believe firmly that you can thank Patrick Henry directly for that and the, and the anti-federalists of the time, but specifically Patrick Henry because he was kind of the, the leading figure of the anti-federalists during the time of the Constitutional Convention. Uh, and then, of course, there is the, the, the fourth one that I want to touch on, which may be a little bit surprising to some people, but I, I don't think you can really leave him out of this grouping of, of more libertarian-leaning or, or libertarian-ish founding fathers, and that is George Washington. Because there is no other figure that had such an impact on humanity's uh, outcome on humanity's history, at least in the modern era, than George Washington. His decision, first of all, to give up power not just once, not just twice, but three times. Because he did not want to be a king. He did not want to run for president, but he eventually did. And then he said, all right, I'm stepping down after two terms. That was unheard of, and many people wanted him to go again and again and again. Many people wanted him to be a king, and one of them is one of the more status founding fathers that we'll be talking about here in just a few minutes. But he had the character, and this is something that libertarians really need to understand. Because I think if anything, we get this not wrong, but we overlook it, understate it, that the character of individual men is so incredibly important because if Washington didn't have the character to refuse the lust of power, we could have a very different country right now. There are a lot of people that that came and went um, after Washington that constantly tried to grab power, but because of his example, we had a precedent for people to look at his example and say, wait a minute, who are you to say that you are better than the founder of our country, than the father of our country. That can't be understated enough. He had the character that a nation founded and conceived in liberty must have. Now, I want to touch on only two, uh, some more of the, the status founding fathers, if you will. <laughs> um, but there are plenty on both sides that we can continue to go over and over and over. But I won't uh, keep your time here too long because we're getting ready to wrap up after this. But the first one is that of Jane, or excuse me, John Adams. Now, John Adams is a really tragic and really sad figure, I think, because he had the right ideas. He had the right... I mean, he was a major figure in making sure that we won the American Revolution. He was a major figure in communicating the ideas of liberty him and his and his cousin sam adams both of them now neither one of them really liked each other but both of them were certainly incredibly important at the time of the american revolution now that's easy to say whenever you have a common enemy 
because the kind of the common enemy at the time was King George and all the founders certainly was against him. After King George, after the American Revolution, that is when things got really testy. That's when it really mattered where you stood. Unfortunately for John Adams, uh, I, I think he really stood on the wrong side of history here because it was his administration that led to um, the first crisis of the American experiments, first attack on freedom of speech. As I said before with, with Thomas Jefferson, John Adams um, signed and the Federalist Congress passed and John Adams signed the Sedition and Alien Acts of, night, of uh, 1789. And these were truly atrocious acts that sent people to jail because of their speech, because they disagreed with the president, because they spoke out against what they saw and Certainly the case can definitely be made that it was, in fact, a tyrannical government. Because when you're jailing people for their speech, that is kind of the definition of tyranny. Now, their excuses for why they were doing this was incredibly weak. Now, if there was one book that I could recommend on this topic specifically, it is a book that I'm reading right now. It's called Liberty's First Crisis, and it details... Uh, the struggle between Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, uh, the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists, and the misfits of the time that ensured that free speech is worth protecting. Now, the other one that I want to touch on, obviously, uh, and if you didn't see this one coming, really, I mean, who even are you, uh, is that of Alexander Hamilton. And if there are two individuals that really had a drastically, had a very drastic misunderstanding of the ideas of liberty. It was John Adams and Alexander Hamilton. Certainly John Adams in his later life, but Alexander Hamilton almost all of his life. Uh, and Hamilton loved the aristocracy. He, he loved the idea of having people on the top, the uh, a hierarchy of individuals. And he, in fact, even even wanted, he, he preferred a monarchy. He, he wanted a, a king. He, he loved George Washington. He thought that that was not that bad of, a, of an idea. And of course, it can't be overlooked that he was the first one to really give way to the idea of a Central American bank, which eventually gave way to the Federal Reserve. And I don't know any institution that is more anti-liberty than that of the Federal Reserve System. Hamilton, of course, feared the tyranny of mob rule, and there is something to be said about that. I, I certainly don't dispute that, but he took it to the extreme, and because of that, uh, he, he certainly had a very negative influence in our founding when uh, we were just trying to get our feet wet in these ideas and this experiment in liberty. Now, after all of that has been said, I mean, what, what's, what's, what's the point in all that? Well, I, I want to touch on, right before we close out, I want to touch on a few of the lessons that I believe are insurmountable that have to be remembered on this Constitution Day. Remember this and, and take it forward. Now, I wrote a, a, an article on Outset Magazine about uh, some of these lessons, and I'll, I'll certainly link that to the show notes, and you can uh, read over that. And I, I touched on a lot of the same ideas in that article that I touched on here on this episode. Um, but the first one, the first lesson that I want you to remember, is that the Constitution is not a perfect document. 
We cannot deify it. Once we start deifying it, A, well, you're just lying to yourself. B, you're turning people away. People who who really could be your allies, you're turning them away because they're like, what are you talking about? These guys were not perfect. The Constitution is not perfect. You have to accept that that's true. You can't deify the Constitution. You can't deify the Founding Fathers. Understand that because they are not divine, because they were in fact human, and they gave us the greatest political achievement in human history, that's worth celebrating. That is worth defending. And the spirit of the Constitution is worth defending even more. Understand that the Constitution, while it's not a perfect document, it is, I would, I would argue, the most uh, perfect or the closest thing to a perfect libertarian or minarchist government that is set up. Again, there are certainly flaws, and I would not say that it is absolutely a minarchist or, or libertarian government. <laughs> not far from it. But it is the closest thing that we have ever um, that we have ever achieved, and the more that we have gone away from it, the more problems we have faced. All our problems will not be eliminated whenever we get back to the Constitution, but I think a lot of them would be. <laughs> uh, and at the end of the day, remember that it is only a parchment barrier, as is often uh, it is often called. This is not to say that the Constitution doesn't really do anything to protect your rights, except it kind of is, <laughs> because, as I said earlier in this program, it is a symbiotic relationship that the Founding Fathers put into place. Now, this is the most important thing that you can walk away from this program to remember. The Constitution is a symbiotic relationship, meaning that the Constitution can protect your rights so long as you protect the Constitution, because government is looking at both of us, and too often we just think it's looking at us and forget that it's looking at the Constitution too. If it can, if it can ignore it and take it and, and strip it away and just say, screw all these protections and everything, at the end of the day, remember, it's just a parchment barrier. It will do nothing to protect you unless you go out of your way to protect it. That's why individuals like Rand Paul in the Senate, like Justin Amash and Thomas Massey in the House. That's why those individuals are so important to, to keep putting into to government. Yeah, they'll, they'll let you down every once in a while, but for the most part, people like that, they will always support the Constitution at all costs. That is your first line of defense. We have to remember what the Constitution means, we have to remember the spirit of the Constitution in order to defend it. Liberty is not originated in the Constitution, and in fact, the Constitution even says that. The Constitution is not the end goal, it's liberty. Liberty is where we are trying, is what we are trying to achieve. We're not trying to get back to the Constitution, we're trying to go even further than that. Because the spirit of the Constitution is that your rights don't end here. Your rights are inherent in your humanity. We cannot give them to you. You already have them. We can only protect it. The only way that we can keep your rights protected is if we remember that liberty is the absolute. Liberty is our why. Not the Constitution, but liberty. 
that's our program for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please go out and share this episode. Uh, I, I, I really love um, talking about some of these, you know, these historical events and some of the historical ideas, especially, um, and the ideas of the Founding Fathers and the Constitution. So we'll be doing more of these and we'll be doing more on other subjects as well. Uh, next week, be sure to tune in because we have a really fantastic interview for you with Stephen Perkins, and uh, it's going to be our one-year anniversary. So that's exciting, right? Uh, and we, we have so much more to go into as we approach our second year. Uh, please follow me on Twitter, at Franz, as you know, as the... The saying goes, follow the show on Twitter, at Mill Liberty. Follow us on, or uh, excuse me, subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. Give us a rating, a review, a little little five-star rating on iTunes so that we know that we're doing a good job. And let me know if there's anything that you would like to see uh, on this program as we approach into our second year because there's a lot more that we can get into. Um, And, of course, until next week, we'll see you.